I invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. And today we're going to be giving our attention to the last three verses of the last chapter of this amazing letter. So Romans 16, 25 to 27. We began this, this journey with the Apostle Paul 19 months ago. And um, <laughs> a lot of highlights and uh, profound landmarks along the way. Uh, but I think more than anything else, th- there, are, there are just truth gifts that God has communicated through this expression of pure gospel. And, and I know that I'm speaking for all of our elders when I pray that together we all might treasure these truth gifts through the years, for a lifetime. Our prayer is that these truth gifts would remain and bear fruit. Truth gifts such as, in Christ, we have died to sin and are alive from the dead forever. In Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. In Christ, our condemnation is past. In Christ, our justifying righteousness is unwavering because it's performed by Jesus, not us. Christ lives and resides in us forever through the Holy Spirit. In Christ, God causes all the best things and all the worst to serve us for our eternal well-being. In Christ, we can be absolutely certain that nothing in all the earth can separate us from the love of God. And further, our prayer is that the fulfillment of each of these gospel truths would engender a social culture among us, marked by joy, gratitude, humility, generosity, mutual care, servitude, the kind of culture that would make the world around us pause and wonder and give this gospel doctrine an honest hearing. And one more. Since the gospel of our Lord Jesus is the power of God to save us and keep us forever, may the people of Emmaus Road Church be eager to proclaim it, eager to show it, eager to preach it until every person in our city has had multiple times to hear and respond and believe. And it would spread to the ends of the earth, to all nations, peoples, languages, cultures. So, as an expression of how much we treasure this word, God's word, if you're able, please stand. I invite you to follow along. As I read Romans 16, 25 to 27, here's what Paul writes. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed 
and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the miracle of your communication to us through Scripture. Thank you that we have this this book. Thank you that we have this account of who you are, all that you've done. Thank you that we have an account of your will and your ways. Thank you for laying before us this eternal truth for the sake of the obedience of faith of all the nations. And God, we're asking today that as we give attention to it, that the working of your Spirit would be discernible and powerful and effective among us as you open the eyes of our hearts and you cause us to behold you and glorify your Son, our Lord Jesus, the Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was in uh, 1935 that Albert May Malott composed a musical setting for the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure many of you, maybe all of you, have heard it. Maybe you've sung it. It's been recorded by a lot of people, from Elvis to Johnny Cash to Susan Boyle, to Andre Bocelli. That's a, that's a spectrum, isn't it? Um, it? It starts softly, as you know, probably, with our Father, who art in heaven. And then it grows in intensity with, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And that second half of the song, it just builds as the notes climb higher and higher until it breaks out into the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, and then the climax musically hits its peak on the word forever, and then decrescendos to this final amen. One of the beauties of that doxology, that that traditional ending to the Lord's Prayer, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, is that it, it teaches us that the glory of God is to be our chief concern. To God be the glory. And it expresses confidence in God that He can and will do all that we ask and all that He is that we need. All perfection belongs to him and to him alone. He is a generous king, sovereign, powerful ruler, wise father who has no beginning and no end. And and what that doxology also does following that final acclamation to God's glory is to seal the prayer with this little word, amen. Now, amen is not just, you know, like, secret Christian prayer jargon for period. You know, 
Amen means yes. It means truly. It means so shall it be. It's an expression of faith. And Jesus Christ himself is the Amen. Revelation 3.14 says that Jesus is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And that's why when we pray in Christ's name, we pray with complete agreement. We pray with complete confidence, assurance, steadfast hope. We pray and obey with faith because we are joined to the great Amen. Loved ones, this is Paul's aim in Romans 16, 25 to 27. That, the doxology here at the end of this great letter, it draws the letter to a close and it is intended to assert one more time that the glory of God as displayed in Christ is our chief and life governing concern. This brief doxology is intended to engender once more confidence, confidence that in and through Christ, God can and will supply all that we ask and all that we need. And through this doxology, we're given vocabulary to express that through Christ, with Christ, we are in complete agreement, full assurance, and steadfast hope. That it's all going to take place. God's glory must be our chief concern. God can and will do all that we ask and all that we need in order to accomplish that end. And through Christ and with Christ, we are in complete agreement. Full assurance that God will be glorified in all the earth. So let's look at those things, those three things, one at a time. First of all, God's glory being our chief concern. Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 25 to 27, is one long sentence. It begins like this, now to him, and then there are several supporting clauses before the sentence actually picks up again in verse 27. So now to him, that is, To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. To Him, the holy, 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 none like Him, only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So having said all that God would have him to say in this letter, Paul ends with this impassioned doxology. To the only wise God be glory. In the original language, there's no verb. There's no be. It simply says, to him, the only wise God, glory. That's significant. Grammatically, it communicates a simple statement of fact. God is Glorious. And that's important because Paul launched this doctrinal portion of the letter explaining that the the wrath of God is being revealed against the ungodly, against unrighteous people whose aim is to deny that God is glorious. In Romans 1.21, Paul writes, Although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images. That's the world that we live in. A world that's under God's wrath. A world where God's glory has been exchanged. Where God's glory is not treasured. And Romans 3.23 sums it up. All have sinned and fallen short. Fallen short of treasuring the glory of God. But God is glorious. And the rest of the letter to the Romans, including Romans 16.25-27, aims to set that straight. And yet, God's glory is more than a fact. It's more than a, a statement of fact. Romans 16.25-27 also communicates a statement of desire. It's an expression of purposeful longing. It is a prayer. And the petition being, Oh God, be glorified. Oh God, be honored. May your name be hallowed and revered. Oh God, be treasured for all that you are by all the nations in all the earth through Jesus Christ, yes, truly, dear Lord, may it be so, to your name be glory. What is that? What is the glory of God? Scripture tells us that God is glorious. Biblical writers tell us that God possesses certain traits and attributes that are Simply magnificent and astonishing. And then, and then and Romans 16, 25 to 27 offers us some glimpses into some of those glories. Like in verse 25 where it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you. That is, some translations say, to him who is able to establish you. To him who is able to Keep you. Speaks of God's power to do what we are unable to do. To strengthen ourselves spiritually. To strengthen ourselves morally. To strengthen ourselves to respond rightly to God. We, we have limits. Spiritual, moral limits. God has no limits. There are things we cannot do. There is nothing God cannot do. He does Whatever he wishes to do. Further, verse 26 refers to him as the eternal God. That is, God has no beginning and he has no ending. That means he doesn't ever get old. It means you can't take his life away from him. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the world from Everlasting to everlasting. From eternity past to eternity forward, you are God always. It also means that for God, there are no successive... Really? Again. It also means that for God, there are no successive moments... I was at the uh, church softball game 
Tuesday night, and, and I'm watching it unfold, right? And the last inning comes after each of the first successive innings. There's a, there's a sequence of time. God doesn't watch the game that way. God sees every event in the game at once. He sees the last inning the same way he sees the first inning. And the implication of that is that God infallibly knows the future because he sees it just as well, just as perfectly as he sees the past. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 says, God says, I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. So in relation to time, God is eternal, and that makes him glorious. There's none other like him. And then according to Romans 16, 27, God is the only wise God. That is, God and God alone knows the greatest goal and the greatest good in any situation, as well as the best way to achieve the best goal and best good. And more, he, is, he has sovereign authority and ability to bring all that about. To him, verse 25, who is able to strengthen you, verse 26, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So God can strengthen you. God will strengthen you. He will make you do what apart from his sovereign decree you cannot do, namely, trust him. Who can trust him? <laughs> Who can trust him perfectly? God alone has the ability to make that happen in our lives. And that's why Paul exalts in God in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, saying, For from him and through him and to him are all things to Him be glory forever. And there's that great word again. Amen. So God is glorious. That's a fact. But God could be all of those things. Powerful, eternal, infinitely wise. And who would know it? How do we know God is holy and just? How do we know that God is merciful and mighty? How do we know that God is eternal and wise? Well, the Bible tells us so. But we also know it because God has... Revealed it, displayed it, shown it. He's, he's made his gloriousness public in the person of Jesus Christ. God has put his eternal, infinite, manifold perfections on display for all the world to see in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. God's matchless excellencies were hidden until the Son of God appeared and opened up clearly 
a display of the wisdom and the will of the glorious nature and person and purpose of God the Father for all to see. Look at verse 25 again. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you. How? How does He strengthen? He strengthens according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been known, made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Loved ones, God's purpose is that His glory would be our chief concern. That's, that's first here. Second, it is essential that we see that His glory, His glory is displayed through the person and work of Jesus. It's how we know. It's how we see. It's how we understand. It's how we actually behold His gloriousness. God is glorious and worthy to be treasured above all else. How do we know? How do we know that He's powerful? How do we know that He's able to overcome our limitations? How do we know that God is able to bring about the obedience of faith? How do we know that He's eternal, seeing, making known the end from the beginning? How do we know that God alone possesses infinite and holy wisdom? How do we know? We didn't know until we heard the gospel and the preaching, the proclamation of Jesus as the Christ. It was a mystery. It was kept secret for long ages until... God's glory was revealed in the person and work of His Son. John Owen, the Puritan, peerless Puritan theologian writes, It is in Christ alone that we can discern anything of it. That is, it being God's glory. For Christ... Has the Father chosen and sealed to represent it unto us? All the treasures of this wisdom are hid, laid up, and laid out in Him. Or as Paul writes in verse 27, To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ. The glory of God is God in all His infinite perfection displayed for all the world to see in the person and the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel, right? It's in the gospel that we behold this blessed union of the two natures. It's in the gospel that we see divine and human in one person, the Lord Jesus. 
It's in the gospel that we behold a mystery unfold. We see that the way to glory is through shame and suffering. In the person and the work of Jesus, we behold the eternal wisdom of God. We see that he is both just and justifier of the ungodly. In the incarnation, God became man in Christ. The infinite unites with finite. Immortality unites with mortality. And we behold the one who both ordains and commands the law and also lives under the law. In the gospel, we're shown how only, only the God-man could affect reconciliation between God and man. In the gospel, we can see how communion with God is and remains possible for us only because God became man. Loved ones, the, listen, the, the effectiveness of Christ in his sin-atoning justice-satisfying, redemption-purchasing work in all of its aspects depends on the mystical union of two natures. The incarnation matters. Everything hangs on it. And God's glory in it is put on display in the person and work of His dear Son. Mark Jones writes, The wisdom of God revealed in the mystery of Christ is a work that angels desire to look into and cannot behold without the greatest admiration. For herein God's glory is displayed. So God is glorious and God's glory is his perfections gone public, the display of God's glory that reverberates to his praise throughout all eternity passes through and shines in the light of the person and work of Jesus. Can there be any doubt? Can there be any doubt that this God can and will supply all that we need to do all that he commands? That's a crucial question. It's crucial because it is, it's through faith, the complete assurance and steadfast hope of God's people that God gets glory. God is glorified by faith. We always obey what we trust. We always obey what we believe. A few years ago, I um, saw my doctor for my annual physical, and you know, he looks at my blood work and he says, "You know, you got some elevated numbers." I said, well, "What's that mean?" He says, "I don't know." That's great, greatly encouraging. I don't know. Um, well, what should I do? And he says, well, they're not, the reason I don't know is because they're just not that high. But I just, I just have this feeling that maybe you ought to do something. Like maybe get a heart screening 
And I said, you're not, you're not concerned greatly? Well, not greatly, but I don't know. Just, just have a feeling about this. Okay, so because it was a feeling, I didn't feel like it was all that big of a deal, and I put it off, put it off, and eh, about a month or so later, I decided, okay, I'll go get this heart screening. So they do a little thing on you, and it comes back, huh, we see something, not sure what it is, so we're going to do this next thing. Okay, so they do the next thing, eh, we see something, and we're going to do another thing. It ends up, I get an angiogram, which... I didn't understand until I had the angiogram. It's a, it's a bit of an inv invasive procedure. And when I woke up in the recovery room after the angiogram, um, my wife's looking at me, and here I am with 90% blockage of the so-called widow-maker artery. Who knew? I didn't know. It was all a doctor's instincts. Let me tell you, I trust him. <laughs> I've gone back to him a lot of questions. I said, Doc, you know, you saved my life. What do you think about this? What do you think I should do about that? Because I trust you. I will do whatever you tell me to do because I believe you. I believe you. We always obey what we trust. God is glorified by faith. The aim of this doxology is that God's glory would be our chief concern. The aim of this doxology is to show us that God, His glory is displayed through the person and work of Jesus. And the aim of this doxology is to dispel one more time any unbelief that God can and will do all that we ask and supply all that we need to glorify His name in all the earth. In other words, the aim of this doxology is to bring about obedience to God that is motiva motivated by faith in God. Look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, verse 27, to or in order to Bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, the, you see the connection? The promise of God's ability and excellence, expertise, His power, infinite, eternal goodness, His wisdom. That's the God who is able to bring about the obedience of faith. Do you trust Him? Do you believe Him? We believe what we trust. We obey what we trust. We, we obey what we believe. Our chief concern is the glory of God. To the only wise God be glory. Amen. May it be so. May it happen. This is the final destination. God's glorious perfections displayed through Jesus and treasured by all nations forever. How will that happen? How will God be glorified for all that He is for His people in Christ? Loved ones, God is glorified through obedience that is motivated by faith in all that He promises to be, all that He has displayed Himself to be, all He has 
proven himself to be for us in Christ Jesus. In Romans 4.21, Paul explains how God gets glory. Speaking of Abraham, he writes, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. God's not glorified through self-sufficiency. God's not glorified by what we bring, what we give, what we are. God gets glory because He's able, because He's strong, because we're relying on His strength and all that He is. Verse 25, to Him who is able to strengthen you, establish you, keep you. And because we rely on His ability to keep us, to establish us, to strengthen us, we obey. We trust and then obey. We trust that He is able. We trust that He is strong. We trust He can and He will do all that we ask and all we need so that He gets all the glory and then we obey. As essential as our obedience is for God to get glory, God's not going to get glory if we don't obey. (laughs) But as essential as our obedience is, obedience in reliance upon our own ability, it diverts the praise away from God. The glory goes to ourselves. It's very possible to obey God and God not get glory. The obedience by which God gets glory Glory and honor and praise is obedience that springs from faith and reliance, full assurance that He will accomplish all that He's promised to do. Loved ones, God's message to us through this, His Word is, it's always trust me. Trust me. You can depend on me. Rely on me. Trust me and because you trust me, obey me. Trust me. Comma, and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus or for God to get glory in our lives. And where will this faith, this that produces God-glorifying obedience, comes from? Well, this faith rises. It rises and rises and rises as we meditate and pray over God's Word. Faith, the faith through which God is glorified is a gift We don't even get credit for that. (laughs) According to Romans 10, 17, our ability to trust and rely upon God comes through the hearing. Hearing comes through the word about Christ. That's why Paul says in verses 25 and 26, to him who is able to strengthen you, how? According to my gospel. How? According to the preaching of Jesus Christ. How? According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, that's how it brings about the obedience of faith. God is glorified when we humbly acknowledge that we have, we got nothing. God is glorified when we humbly acknowledge that we desperately need His mercy. God is glorified when we humbly acknowledge that in order to obey Him, we need the faith that only His Word can 
generate. We need to know that we can trust him at all times and all circumstances. And in the revelation and proclamation of Jesus, God has communicated all that we need to know in order to trust with complete, full assurance and steadfast hope. Amen. That's what that means. To glorify God, we need a heart of humble reliance upon the Lord that only God can generate. And it's the gospel that supplies that. It's the gospel that strengthens God-glorifying faith. The faith that gives rise to obedience, loved ones, is it's strengthened by the good news. The faith that keeps God's commands is strengthened by hearing the preaching of Christ. Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ risen, Christ ascended, exalted to the place where he pours out the Spirit upon us to this day. The faith that produces obedience to God is rooted in God's holy history. The faith that is inclined to keep God's command is strengthened by truth and wisdom that's rooted in eternity and established by God's authoritative command. And loved ones, that Oh, man, that is a deep anchor to keep and establish us forever. It's the obedience generated by faith that glorifies God. And the faith that generates such obedience is supplied through the hearing of the gospel. And the substance of the gospel is the great salvation in accordance with the unfathomable wisdom of God. And the subject of this wisdom is the great and glorious Savior, the God-man, Jesus the Christ. He's the amen in Him, in Christ alone. We are complete and have full assurance and steadfast hope to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our chief concern in a world that does not share that chief concern is that your name would be magnified. Our chief concern is that all that you have revealed and disclosed yourself to be in the truth of the word would be put on display. It would, be, it would go public for all to see in the proclamation of the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our desire that that would be so. It's our desire that it would be so to the ends of the earth. It's our desire that you would be glorified in Jesus among all nations, people groups, languages. It's our desire, O Lord, that you would be exalted in the person of the Lord Jesus in the city of Sioux Falls and throughout this region that we live in. It's our desire that you would bring about, that you would command the obedience that rises from faith. Command the faith as your word is heard. The word of Christ is preached. 
God, be glorified. Be glorified among us. This is your chief concern. May it be ours as well. Perhaps there's no better way to express this together besides singing about it in a second than to praying it together. Let's stand together and pray as our Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.